Well, hello, friends. It's time for the second hour of Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America, where we're taking your questions about, of course, the most important book in the world, the Bible, and the most important person in the world, God, the creator of all things, and, of course, your relationship with him, your spiritual life. I'm Dr. Mike Fabares, filling in today for Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Happened to be the founding pastor of Compass Bible Church in Aliso Viejo, California. I'd like to say it's the best church in the country. It is, I think, in my mind. I love my church, love the people here. I'm also the Bible teacher on the Focal Point radio program. I hope you've heard of that. It is on the Moody Network, and I've authored several books, and we were just talking off the air about a book that just came out this last week. It's a book on envy, and I was asked, well, how's that going? I said, I have no idea. I don't know who's going to pick up a book on some particular sin in their lives, but if you're interested in doing what Psalm 139 says, and that is we ought to go to God occasionally and say, God, search my heart, try me, know me, see if there's any wicked way in me. Maybe you haven't thought much about the sin of envy. Moody Publishing has just dropped this book this last week. Envy, a big problem you didn't know you had. If you're interested in that, just in any way piques your interest, I'd love for you to go to that uh, Moody Publishing website or anywhere you get your books and check out that book, Envy, by Mike Fabares. That's me, and today I'm here answering your questions about the Bible, and if you have a question, please give us a call, 877, it's a toll-free number, 877-548-3675, that's 877, write it down, 548 548- 3675. Even if you've never called a radio program, today's the day. And you have to wait just a little bit because we've got great callers here on the line. But we'd love to have you give us a call. If you get a busy signal, call us back. Or you can send your question where there is no busy signal at our website, openlineradio.org. And once you go there, there's lots of great things to look at. But go to the Ask Michael a Question button and fill out that form and send it in. And we'll get that in our mailbag. It's just, I, I picture the old big burlap sack full of letters. Well, this is an electronic version of that, but we'd love to have your question, and we want you to grab your Bibles if you can do it, or if you're driving, just listen carefully here. If you're sitting around your kitchen table, as Michael likes to say, grab your cup of coffee, because we're going to go back to the phones and get your questions. Let's go to Maryland, Georgia. We left off before the break. I know that was a long break, but I appreciate you so much being patient. Let's get back to your question. Why don't you just summarize again your question you had started before I so rudely interrupted you, but please tell me, Georgia, what's on your mind? Yes, thank you very much. Uh, And I know I need to kind of narrow it down. So I left off when I was talking about I'm a boomer. And um, so now that I'm uh, in my 60s and I'm looking at this um, conflict, uh, let's call it, uh, over in Israel and and Gaza, my question is this, and, and this is from watching it and then the feelings that I've been going through, like a lot of the world, I guess, is that in the Bible, I know that there's times when there's always been wars uh, way back then, way back then. Um, and somewhere God, um, he would reach out and help, uh, you know, a certain side for, for whatever the reasons uh, were, his reasons were. Now, right now, though. I was thinking about the the war. My heart is, you know, saddened. And I I was thinking, I don't, and of course, I'm not you. I'm not the the expert. But I can't think of a time when God would um, uh, approve of a war where the the women and children 
would be the collateral damage, if you will. And so um, I'm just wondering uh, if you can maybe speak to that in some way. I, I'm not very clear on everything I'm, I'm trying to think because it's more emotional, but um, I, I'm just hoping that the sides can just find a way, um, you know, to work it out. So, and, and that's, that's the best way I can put it. It, it, it. Yeah. Well, that's a great, great question. And, and, and your heart, it comes through Georgia in your question and we should all be right where you're at in really hating war. We shouldn't like it. As a matter of fact, even in the Bible, there's a condemnation for those that delight in war. That's the phrase there. And it's from Psalm 68 verse 30. And it says, we shouldn't, we shouldn't like that. That's a bad thing to delight in war. No one should want it. Everyone should dislike it. But if we were there at the end of 1933 with swastikas all over public buildings and we had people marching through countries and we had Poland going down and we had bombs falling across Europe and we had all of this happening and people were being subjected and, and Jews were being exterminated in concentration camps at some point, And even in America where they were so reluctant to get involved in World War II, right? And now we had our ships bombed in, in Pearl Harbor. You've got to recognize whether it's World War II or whether we go back to the Revolutionary War or the War of 1812 or we talk about Korea or Vietnam or Cuba or Grenada or Panama or we go all the way up into the, the you know Afghanistan and Somalia and Kosovo, we can look around the world and say, I, I think there are good and righteous people who do not like war, who are drawn into war, which definitely is going to include Civilian casualties, civilian collateral damage, as they like to call it. It's a horrible thing. But as Christians, we need to say, is that a biblical thing to even think about? And of course, we have examples in the Bible, not that every example in the Bible is one that should be followed, but we do see Jesus being very clear about governments bearing the sword for a reason, and it's so that justice can prevail even internationally among nations. And it's something we call in church history uh, the development of just war theory, there's just three basic parts to that, that there must be a, a just cause, that it has to do with justice. And if you look at Psalm 82, for instance, and you think about what it means to stand up for what is right, and sometimes when evil is prevailing and evil is subjecting and killing people, like we saw with Hamas in Gaza, right, going into Israel, killing innocent people, beheading babies, right, there's a time for us to say this is a just cause to fight, to fight back. Right? And then we need to have just conduct in war, which Israel certainly is doing right now. They're doing all they can to minimize the, the civilian casualties. Right? That's not what Hamas is doing. Hamas is showing their evil uh, intent to kill as many civilians as possible, and Israel is trying to kill as few uh, civilians as possible. And as we see, it's very important, as Deuteronomy 20 says, you're going into war, you've got to have just conduct. And then there needs to be afterwards just conditions to try and establish a lasting peace. And those in just, if you know just war theory, you might be well-educated listening to this, someone saying, yeah, just ad bellum, just in bello, just post bellum. All of these are phrases and, and concepts about just war theory that says, yes, there is a biblical time for us to engage 
engage in war as righteous people and righteous nations to say we have to stop evil. And there's a long history of that, and none of us should like it. We should never delight in war, but we should only go to it when we have no other real option. Because Israel, in this case, were they to do nothing, if there is, as all the college campuses are trying to call out for in America, let's just have a ceasefire. Cease let's just stop. Well, Hamas is not going to stop. This is not just a, a, a battle for land. This is really a religious battle that Hamas is involved in. This is really an outgrowth of the Muslim Brotherhood. They want a caliphate. They want to rule the world religiously. They want Sharia law. And Israel, the only democracy in the Middle East, is saying no. And as you try to kill our people, we have to stop. At some point, you cannot have the worst slaughtering of Jews since World War II and Israel sit on their hands because some college boomers are saying, you know, some professors there, well, we shouldn't be doing this because we shouldn't have anybody being killed. We're going to have to, unfortunately, and Hamas has been warned and the people have been warned they should get out, just like we saw with Joshua's conquest in the Old Testament. The fear of God and the coming of that war was well known. People had time to leave. They should get out. Uh, those who want to fight, if they're going to fight for what is wrong and what is evil, there's going to be a just response. And that has a long history in Christian thought, in Christian thinking, in biblical principles. And, and I think there's times we must affirm it, but never with glee, never with joy. No one should be a warmonger. No one should be happy about war. We should all be those who do never delight in war. Georgia, I know that's a hard and, and as you said, an emotional question, but does that help at some level? Um, that that did help. I appreciate that. And one final question just for clarification for me. Um, when they say Hamas, um, and uh, who is Hamas? Yeah, Hamas is an organization that has now been at least elected in the, the Gaza Strip. If you look at a map there, you'll see Gaza, which is on the coast of, of the Mediterranean Sea there in, in the southwest corner of Israel. And it's led by a group called Hamas, and it's much like Hezbollah. It's much like a lot of other groups that you see that are religiously motivated to establish Islam. And Islam, unfortunately, is dead set on exterminating the Jews. They want the Jews to be killed. When you hear people saying, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, that is in the charter of Hamas. It's a religious slash military slash governmental organization that runs Hamas and uh, runs the Gaza Strip, rather, and they are all about exterminating Israel. And so Israel is just fighting for their very existence by saying, no, you can't come in and slaughter our people. And it, 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 historically, Hamas came out of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, and they have the same the, the same idea. They want to establish Islam as the world religion, and everyone needs to submit to Islam and be a Muslim, not Christian, not Jewish, not any other religion, but just Islam. And ultimately, that's what this battle is about. And unfortunately, a lot of Americans are just saying, well, it looks like Israel has the bombs and Gaza, you know, they don't really have the good equipment. So it looks like Israel is the oppressor and Gaza is, you know, they're just the oppressed. And so we're always for the oppressed. We're never for the oppressor. We want the strong guy to lose and the weak guy to win. And therefore, I'm rooting for Gaza, I'm rooting for Hamas, and I'm just saying that's just not the way to look at this any more than someone coming into your house slaughtering your children, and just because they make less money than you or drive a car that's not as nice as yours, well, we're going to root for him. We can't say that. We, we root for righteousness, and we want justice. We do not want people to kill and pillage and exterminate people just because of their DNA or their religion. 
So, Georgia, I hope that helps. That's a hard question, but one I think a lot of our listeners today must be thinking about. I mean, we just know this is on the headlines and it's on our minds. And for some of us, Georgia, like you, it's on our hearts. And so we need to address it today. And I'm so glad that it has been. I'm Pastor Mike Fabares. I'm sitting in today for Dr. Michael Rydelnik. You're listening to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America. The phone number is 877-548-3675. 877-548-3675. You're listening to Mike Fabars, the voice of Focal Point Radio, pastor of Compass Bible Church in Orange County, California, and so happy to be sitting in today. And we're going to get back to more questions right after this short break. The recent Hamas attack in Israel and the surge of anti-Semitism in the U.S. and around the world might cause us to wonder where God is in all this. It's crucial to remember that God loves the Jewish people and truly does have a plan for them. That's why Chosen People Ministries, an organization that brings the good news to Jewish people around the world and also partners with Moody Radio to bring you Open Line, is offering a new booklet titled God's Plan and Purposes for the Jewish People and written by Chosen People President Mitch Glazer, this booklet unpacks what the Bible has to say about God's choice of Israel and its significance. It will grow your care and concern for the Jewish people as you see God's heart for them. It's yours free. Just go to openlineradio.org, scroll down to the link that says A Free Gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your free copy of God's Plan and Purposes for the Jewish People. Go to OpenLineRadio.org. Welcome back to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. I'm Dr. Mike Fabares sitting in today for Dr. Michael Rydelnik, and he's out, but we love him, and we can't wait for him to be back. But if you want to talk to me today, the number is 877-548-3675. That's the number, and we have all kinds of questions. And let's just go right to the top. Bob, you're on line one from Akron, Ohio. You're on with Mike Fabares. How can I help? Can you talk a little bit about Solomon's life and maybe his timeline and when he wrote the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon? And did he fall away there at the end? Yes. Yes, he did. And uh, yeah, that's a great question. Now, Proverbs is a collection of Proverbs, and they're not all from Solomon, but many of them are. So we just know that in that collection, we probably have Proverbs from Solomon all across his life. Uh, At least in the earlier seasons and decades of his life, we have that going on in the book of Proverbs. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes, well, let's go to Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon clearly is about his uh, marriage to this Shulamite bride, and it seems to be written in such a uh, celebratory way with such almost an innocence of their courting and their honeymoon and all that goes on there that it seems like that must be an early work of, of, uh, of Solomon. And, uh, you know, Michael Rydelnik may have some more insights to pin some of that down. But as I've taught through the book and uh, expressed its origins, to me, I think it's an earlier book, Proverbs spanning a lot of years, 
Of course, this happening sooner in Solomon's life, uh, speaking of his mother, all the things that go on in that book. But then the book of Ecclesiastes, just by the nature of it, you know that that comes late in his life. And he speaks with almost a, a dreary sense of all the things I did. They just didn't fulfill. They didn't satisfy. He's looking back on his life. And yet the end in chapter 12, right? He says, when all's been said and done, we know it's about fearing God and keeping his commandments. Now he knows that. And it's in retrospect because so much of his sinful life is described there. Now we see in Kings and Chronicles, the description of Solomon being that he did fall away and he fell away and was disciplined by God, even with the splitting of the nation because Rehoboam, his son, acted foolishly. And all of this was really a cascading effect of Solomon's sin. And it says that his primary sin was him being lured away by all the wives that he had. Now, of course, the Bible said you're not supposed to do this. Even we see it in the book of of Proverbs. He's telling them in the first 10 chapters how important it is not to be just seeking all of these relationships. And yet he did, and those foreign wives that he married ended up becoming the snare for his life because he started then to worship and give sacrifice to the foreign gods. And God was, of course, uh, very, uh, he was very offended by that. It was a sinful act of rebellion against God. And so a lot of bad things happened uh, because Solomon's sin. And you need to understand this about his uh, his affairs. It's not like Samson. Samson is presented to us in the book of Judges just as kind of like a womanizer. He's just got a, you know, he just, he's got a different take on all this. Solomon, though he married a lot of wives and it became a snare and a downfall to him, he was the king of Israel. And as we often see, uh, the kinds of, of alliances you can build through marriages is what uh, we think and believe just based on all the data of Scripture was his initial motivation to try and tie up peace on the borders, right? Once you marry a daughter of one of the neighboring kings, you basically establish a peace, and they have an invested, a vested interest now, the foreign king, in keeping peace with your nation because his grandkids are living there. So that was a strategic move, I think, on Solomon's part, not one that was allowed, by the way, back in 1445 B.C. as the law was being written by Moses. He said, don't multiply wives. You're going to have a king one day, and he needs to not multiply wives. And that's exactly what Solomon did. And that really, if you want to look at the crux of Solomon's problem, it was not just that he was chasing women's skirts. It was that he was someone who did not trust God to provide peace on his borders. Solomon, even his name reminds us of the fact that he he gave, he was given a kingdom that was at peace because his father David had established so much peace internationally. It expanded the borders. He got this peaceful kingdom. He was born with the silver spoon in his mouth, so to speak, and yet he did not trust God to protect the borders of his nation. He sought these alliances with foreign daughters, and it ended up becoming a snare because it turned him away from the exclusive devotion to the one true and living God, and that was the problem. So I would say the book of Proverbs spans much of his life. Uh, I'd say many, much of it is early, but still we can see a lot of things in, in the book of Proverbs, not all of them from, from Psalm, but many of them uh, going throughout his life. Uh, Song of Solomon early and the book of Ecclesiastes late, which is a lot of lament. It is a book, though it's very dark. Uh, it's one that's so insightful that I actually go back to it often to just to think about how we need to see life as being really not about how I feel or what I can do to advance myself, but ultimately just to find that pocket, that sweet spot of trusting the Lord, being a righteous person, fearing God, doing what he says, and trusting him and walking with him in this life. So Bob, does that help a little bit? Yeah, that does. I feel sorry for the guy. He probably didn't have accountable people or 
Um, I wonder if he would have had the New Testament that he would have walked closer or, you know. Right. Just, and it seems like he really messed up. He did. He did. And, you know, it's like Lord Acton's statement, you know, the power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. No one had more power, right, than Solomon handed to him. And he wasn't the one who really had gained it. Right? David, you could say, as a fighter and a warrior and a commander in chief, he did a lot to establish his nation. Solomon was given him. Uh, you know, was given, rather, a peaceful nation from him. And I think even in that softness of peacetime and all of the prosperity and all that he had, it just he had no one uh, keeping him accountable. You're right. And he was the kind of person who did whatever he wanted. And uh, I think the structure of, of parameters in his life weren't there. So, Bob, I, I, I agree. He's a sad figure in many ways, and yet much of his life is a provision for us years later of the wisdom that he knows is right but didn't live up to himself. Bob, thanks for the call. You're listening to Open Line here with Dr. Michael Redelnik. I'm Mike Fabares sitting in today. Let's go to Rex in Calhoun, Georgia, listening on WMBW, great station, great part of the country. Rex, you're on with Mike Fabares. How can I help? Basically, it's a question about the biblical worldview and how we might could uh, further it in our society, given that it seems that we uh, have basically been deluded by the internet and the movies and our educational systems and everything, what would be your recommendation for church leaders to uh, present to their to their body of believers to uh, uh, put out into the world, either through our grow groups or our Sunday school classes or uh, even preaching out of the pulpit to further the biblical worldview? Yeah, and I think all of that is important, and the Sunday school classes, the grow groups, uh, all that you've got going on, pulpit ministry, of course, is indispensable. But I do think what people need is some materials in their hands that are truly and, and, and completely biblical that can help to train them. And I've written a few things, and I'm not promoting what I've written necessarily, but I know that in my church what we need is, first of all, we need a clarity about our source of authority, and, and, and we need information about the Bible. I wrote a little book called Why the Bible. There's plenty of books in that genre of writings, but I think we need to get something in the hands of the people that, that reminds them that when I go out and talk to my neighbor about what the Bible says or what the Bible you know, teaches. They, that just today, in a post-Christian, post-modern world, they, they're not buying that. So we need to get back to answering the question, why do we quote the Bible as authoritative? So why the Bible is, is something I've put in print that I want all of our church to read, and I want them to know it because it's foundational. The next book I, I wrote for them, and these aren't published by, by publishers. We, we print them ourselves just so we can get them out in cases and, and get them out as cheaply as possible. But I wrote a book called um, Getting It Right, which is a book that, that explains what the gospel is. And it's so important that we understand what it means to be a Christian. And I think we, we've got to have our people in our church have something that they can read, they can process, they can understand as to what it means to be a Christian. And, and in our day, we can't assume that. You might have been able to assume 60 years ago that most people understood what that meant, but we, people don't understand it today. So Getting It Right is the book I wrote that, that helps in that regard. And then I wrote one other, which is the biggest work of, 
of what we publish here for free at our church, and that's the partner's manual. And this is just basically helping people in the church. Once they know why we're quoting the Bible and what the gospel is, we need to be able to train people to know what to do with that, particularly as it relates to sharing the gospel with other people. And we have a whole chapter. It's a workbook that helps you understand how do I talk to my non-Christian neighbor, my friend, my coworker about Christianity. Now, let's just put it into practice. What does it look like? What questions do I ask? How do I describe it? Now, again, this is nothing novel. I think of James uh, D. James Kennedy there in Florida years ago, in my dad's generation, who wrote that book uh, called Evangelism Explosion. It does the same thing in much greater detail. But today, I think people need something simpler. And so those are three things that I have provided in my church. And I would say your pastor or your leaders, they need to have something in writing. If they need to piggyback on, on, on other churches and what they've written, that's good. But we need to have something that's very affordable, that's absolutely just infiltrating the church where people can understand it as to why we're quoting the Bible, what is Christianity, what does it mean to be a Christian, and then how do we train people up with a one-on-one discipleship relationship to be good spokespersons of the gospel. And if you want any of that, we, we just sell it at, at cost, and uh, we certainly want to get it out to as many people as possible. we got bulk you know, uh, shipping for this. A lot of people across the country utilize these uh, tools. You can go to pastormike.com, and we'll get that out uh, to you and to your leaders. They can check it out and see if they want to use it or not, or it might even prompt something in their mind. They say, oh, I know there's some great stuff that's better than this that's out there. Great. Find something to where everyone in your church can be trained in, in those three things, because to me, those are critical. Why the Bible? Right? What, what's, what's the big deal with this book? Why is it God's Word? Right? What does it mean to be a Christian? And how do I train someone to be a good representative of Christianity in our culture. So Rex, it's not easy, right? It's not like you can snap your fingers and one, two, three, people need to read, they need to understand it, need to be in small groups and they need to discuss it. But if you want our stuff just to check it out, which may prompt you to some better stuff, but I think this is decent, it's working for us here in Southern California, uh, just check it out on pastormike.com and you can just click on that, get a hold of our offices and we'll send you out some samples of that and see if it can be helpful for you. Does that help, Rex? Yes, it does, and thank right. you so much for your time. And uh, I'm a first-time caller, but a long-time listener. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks so much for calling on a day that I'm sitting in. I love that. It's good to hear your voice. Love what's going on there in the Calhoun area of Georgia. Great. Had some relatives back there, and I love it. Hey, we've got the mailbag segment coming up next. This is Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik on Moody Radio. We'll be right back. Each week on Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Rydelnik, We sit around our radio kitchen table and study the scriptures together. You can become a kitchen table partner by supporting OpenLine each month. As a benefit to becoming a partner, you'll receive a bi-weekly email called a Bible study moment, where I'll share Bible study tips, answer some common Bible questions, and encourage you in your spiritual walk. Become a kitchen table partner today. Call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. We're so glad that FEBC partners with Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, bringing the FEBC mailbag every week. Learn how Far East Broadcasting Company is taking Christ to the world at febc.org. On their weekly podcast, Until All I've Heard with Ed Cannon, you'll hear stories of lives changed by Messiah all across the globe. Again, you can hear the podcast when you visit febc.org. That's febc.org. Well, 
Well, welcome back to Open Line. I'm Dr. Mike Fabares. I'm filling in today for Dr. Michael Rydelnik, and this is the mailbag segment. I know how much you like that. Not just because there's some great questions here, but because Trish McMillan gets behind the microphone and talks to you because she, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, is a pastor's kid. I wondered why we got along so well. <laughs> I, I, I raised three pastor's kids. Yeah, they're yeah. good. They're good. So they're good. They <laughs> they're put good up people. with a lot of stuff. <laughs> they do. But I like all three of mine. So That's I hope good. Your, I hope your dad likes you. <laughs> he does. He does. Okay, yeah. good. That's good. <laughs> Well, you got the mailbag. I what do. What you pulled out of the mailbag today? I do. Well, my first question is actually from me. Um, you released a new book this week. I know you talked about it a little bit earlier, but it's called Envy. And I just wanted to know why Why did you want to write about Envy? Maybe want wow. isn't the right word. Yeah. But what, yeah. what, what was the impetus um, for that? And what yeah. are you hoping we... Learn about That's great. it. Well, it's such a such a weird book to write about because uh, it's just weird, right? Yeah. And I'll, here's one reason you know it's weird because there's not many books about it that are out there. Right. Certainly not in the modern era. I mean, there's one there's one good one that uh, uh, one gal wrote, and, and it's a lot about women's issues. It was good, uh, but there's not one that's like broadly available to everyone that deals with man issues as well as women's issues. But I wrote it because I just happened to have a light bulb come on one day preaching through the book of Acts and seeing a reference to the people in the synagogue being jealous about Paul and the crowds that were following him. And I just thought, wow, that's a familiar theme. And I was sitting one day, it was a Wednesday, that's my staff day when I meet with all the staff members that uh, report to to my office. And and I was going through it and it seemed like every meeting I had that day, there was some problem that was explained and thrown on my desk. And I just kept seeing the fact that really, you know what the real core problem is here? There, that gal is envious, or that guy is envious, or there's an envious rivalry going on here. And and I, I pulled out a little sticky pad, you know, one of those little square yellow pads, mm-hmm. and I wrote down the word envy, and I stuck it in my top drawer of my desk, and I said, well, that would be a good book to write one day. First, I'm going to look to see if there are any books. And I went out, couldn't find much, and I happened to be at something where the Moody publishers were there, and they said, hey, what do you want to write on? I said, I don't know. You know, just, you know, What's on your heart? Well, it's all in the normal stuff. Whatever I'm preaching on this week is on my heart. But as he walked away, I, I called him back. I said, hey, wait a minute. You ever thought about publishing a book on envy? And he goes, hmm. And, and it just, his light bulb came on in his mind. He says, yeah, we got to do that. So it was, a, it was just an off-the-cuff kind of thing. I think God, of course, was in it providentially. But I think there are so many problems related to envy, and we don't see it. We don't understand it. Yet it's mentioned often in the Bible, all the way back to Cain killing his brother Abel because he was envious. And even Pilate saying Jesus was crucified and handed over from the Pharisees because they were envious of him. It's just, I think it's everywhere. I mean, a lot of sin is rooted in envy. We don't think about it. So I said, I'm going to write a book on that. Moody said, let's do it. And so that's why we finally have a book that's out from Moody Publishing that I wrote that just came out this week on envy. Hmm. Well, I'm glad if people are interested in more information about that um, on our open line website, which is openlineradio.org. Um, I have you on our website, Pastor Mike, and I have as the resource posted your new Envy book. So if people are looking for that or if they're a kitchen table partner and they have come in on that $30 so they get that 50% off, um, that is one at moodybooks.org that they could look at getting. So anyway, if people want to know more about that. yeah. So thank you. I'm well, I'm looking. Forward I dare to them reading. to read it. I dare them. 
Because, because I thought, you know, I, I remember the last book I wrote for Moody was on parenting. Everybody wants to know how to be a better parent. Few people think about envy. So I don't know. I, I apologize to Moody Publishing ahead of time if no one reads the book. But <laughs> I, I hope that someone, God might move people to say, yeah, maybe this is an issue I need to examine. So I do hope some people would pick it up and read it. And I hope that it's helpful. That's that's my that's my prayer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think there's something we all, you know, you, we look at something, you look at sports figures or someone who makes more than you money mm-hmm. wise or mm-hmm. look at Instagram um, at either number of followers or how clean someone's house. This is me talking as a mom of three mm, kids, you know, trish. how clean someone's mm-hmm. house is the fact that they have white couches. And I just yeah. think, Oh, wouldn't it be something <laughs> to have, to be able to have yeah. white couches and actually yeah. have them be white. Like I, yeah. it's just not in my realm mm. of possibility anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And, and those kinds of things that I think we just brush off and, and don't even call envy. When yes. in reality, it is envy. So, Trish, anyway. you need to read this book. <laughs> I you do. need to get to done with this show and start reading. <laughs> I will do that when I get a down moment. Mm. <laughs> I'm envious of people who have down moments. There you go. See, it's everywhere. It is. It is. No, I'm looking forward to doing that, though. And we are hoping to have you back in a few months to talk about it on Open Line. So, oh, that looking would be forward great. to that. Yeah. Well, I will jump into the actual mailbag questions that other people yes. have sent in. Yes. Um, Melinda in Ohio listens to WCRF and wants to know what the Bible says about gambling. Mm, gambling. Here's what the Bible says, at least in principle, right? And, and I'll explain the principle in a minute. Uh, don't. Hmm. There you go. So there's the short answer. I think it's a pretty solid argument from Scripture that gambling is not what we should be engaged in. And, and, and here's why. Because what we're doing in gambling, we're motivated by some kind of windfall, some kind of win, you know, something that's on the billboard there, on the, the, you know, the numbers on the lottery this month or whatever it might be. I'm going to go here and do this thing so I might get some money. Well, you're taking money from other people that don't want to give it up. They want the same thing you want. They want to win. Everyone who buys a lottery ticket this, this week, they all want to win it. That's what they want. Well, they want that money, money they didn't earn, but money they they hope to get as a windfall through a game of chance, and everyone wants it. So when you give, let's say you spend 50 bucks in lottery tickets this month, right? you are hoping that is something that will win you all the money that is there advertised as being available. And But if you lose, all that 50 bucks goes somewhere else. This is taken from you. Well, you willingly gave it away, but it was taken from you, and someone else gets it. So here's the problem. You're getting some money from someone else that you did not earn, and even though it was willing, you're taking that money from them. We, we call that elsewhere in the Bible stealing, right? Hmm. And you're saying, well, yeah, but we're stealing under the arrangement that we all agree to steal from each other. And I'm thinking, okay. Uh, that's like dueling, right? You're going to go out and duel on the street, take 10 paces, turn around and shoot each other. Mm-hmm. Well, you're agreeing ahead of time that someone's going to get killed here today. Uh, now, murder is wrong, but hey, we agreed to it, so it's okay. No, it's not okay just because you agree to it, right? You're doing it out of a contest even though it's wrong in principle. And I think stealing is wrong in principle. Earning what and making something because you earn it, that, that's the principle of God's word. Saving, earning, doing the things that we all do every day, I hope, in our jobs so that we can be gainfully employed and, and make a living and, and live and, and go buy uh, you know some burritos for lunch today. That, that's, that's a God thing, right? burritos in particular, God thing. But uh, there's no, no chuckle on that one, Trish? <laughs> all right, all right, okay. You're not a Mexican food uh, fan? Yeah, not But here's the thing. <laughs> but, but stealing burritos or stealing money, right, even if it's by arrangement and agreement, 
not helpful. So uh, it's not, not biblical. So I think there are the principles that leads me to say to our people, and I say it to myself, I say it to everyone else, it may be a hobby to you, it might be just for fun to you, but in principle at core, it is not an acceptable practice because of the principles of Scripture. How is that different than investing, then, well, invest- on that principle? Right. Investing, of course, uh, just like getting a job, you might get a job and you might choose to get a job where you're going to get paid more here than there. And you factor in everything about moving and where it is and cost of living. Nothing wrong with with having an advantage right through investing either your time or your money in, say, business, which is hopefully for a good cause to help society uh, to do something constructive in this world, to exercise the dominion through that company that the Bible says in Genesis that we all should be doing. And you're saying, I'd like to get involved in that and help that happen. And I'm looking for a profit through that investment. I mean, even Jesus's parables show the investment mm-hmm. of money for the good of something else that has a return. Nothing wrong with investing. Investing is different than agreeing ahead of time to take your money from you for nothing other than the game that we're playing. And, and so the, the stock market may look like a game, but it's not a game, right? Stock market is us saying these, these companies, these cars, this business, this widget or whatever we're investing in is something that I think is good. It's what society needs. It's for the benefit of the community and society at large. I want to invest in it, and I hope I make a profit in it. Nothing wrong with that. As long as the profit is not our God or our idol, then I think we'll be okay. Okay. All right. Thank you for that clarification. Uh, Next question, since we're on these, you know, Christian living hot topics. (laughs) Dina in Florida listens to WKES and wants to know if it's a sin for a Christian to drink alcoholic beverages. This is more for her. She's asking not to get drunk, but for drinking socially or like when you come home just to wind down. Yeah. Well, listen, there's a lot of things that we want, and I just, I'll pick up on that last sentence, to wind down. Mm -hmm. And and that may be something that we want that's a real spiritual uh, concern. I don't want my heart to be at peace. I don't want to be stressed. Well, there are answers in the Bible for those things. And, and I think we need to be careful that we're not using a chemical to try and accomplish that when God has other means, right? Pouring out our heart to God, right? Even the way that God has designed us to function in relationship with him, there's just a lot of things that God uh, would want to do if we would utilize the spiritual means to do them. Doesn't mean right? That it's wrong to drink alcohol. Obviously, you've already stated in the question that it's wrong to get drunk because God is pro-sobriety. He's so pro-sobriety that every time we see drunkenness in the Bible, there's 16 examples of it. They're all bad. Every one of them is bad, right? So we need to be staying away from being impaired. We don't want to be intoxicated. We don't want to be inebriated. We don't want to be in any way befuddled or unrestrained or lose our self-control. And sadly, today's alcoholic beverages, right, have a lot more alcohol alcoholic content than most of the ancient alcoholic beverages. And so it's a lot easier to get tipsy or impaired, right? We have a standard for driving in our country, 0.08 blood alcohol content. They say you're buzzed and you shouldn't be driving. Uh, It doesn't take much to get there. So I'm saying, as Proverbs 31 reminds us, right, people that are making important decisions, right, they should be not impaired by wine. And sometimes it's good for even kings to just not drink any wine. Proverbs 31.4, not for kings to drink wine. It's not for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. Now, you want to give strong drink to someone, give it to one who's perishing. 
give, give wine to the one who's in some kind of, of bitter distress and they're, they're in pain, they're dying or whatever. So we're all for medicating people and, and, and impairing their, their senses when they're sick or dying. We go to the hospital, we give them some kind of anesthesia. There's nothing wrong with that. But for us, if, if you're a normal person, you're healthy, we want alertness, we want sharp thinking, we want awareness, attentiveness, we want to be sensible, we want to be perceptive. And so what we want is, is to really seek the virtue of being sober, right, and not impaired. So we've got to be careful. If you are going to choose to drink, right, the Bible says that you're allowed to do that. But one of the reasons I've chosen not drink is I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything that's going to bring me toward uh, being non-sober. I think I could do a lot more for my family, my friends, my workplace, and for God if I stay as sober as possible. So uh, I would say. Uh, it's just dangerous. It's like, can I play with knives? Well, you can play with knives, right? There's nothing sinful about that, but don't, you shouldn't be cutting yourself. You got to be really careful because today's alcoholic beverages are a lot sharper, just to, you know, dovetail mm-hmm. that illustration, mm-hmm. than the old time alcoholic beverages. So just be careful. And, and I think if you're careful, right, you can do this. But I think life's so complicated. My alertness is needed in so many situations. And uh, alcohol, and depending on what you're drinking, can be so filled with alcohol that could lead me to addiction and a lot of other things. I just think it's not worth it for me. And if you choose to, I just say be very, very careful. Okay. All right. Thank you for that answer. And I think that's it. <laughs> that's it. That's it. She yeah. said, Trish says we're done. And when she says we're done we're done. More questions coming up. I'm Dr. Mike Fabares. Thanks, Trish, for those questions. You're listening to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik on Moody Radio. I'm the voice and the fill-in today, and we'll be back right after this short break. In 2 Peter 3.16, Peter says Paul has written some things that are hard to understand. That's why Alan Johnson's book, Romans, Everyday Bible Commentary, is so helpful. It provides clear explanations that will enhance our understanding of this important letter, and it offers practical application for our own lives, too. When you give a gift of any size to OpenLine, I'll send you a copy of Romans, Everyday Bible Commentary, just to say thank you. Call 888-644-7122 or visit openlineradio.org. Welcome back to Open Line. My name is Dr. Mike Fabares. I'm sitting in today for Dr. Michael Rydelnik and just listening to those commercials and listening to that intro. I just, this is such a good thing. So many people out there, so many organizations out there just doing things to, I don't know, get, get in your pocket to promote themselves. You know, this ministry at Moody and Moody Radio is about helping. Of course, it takes money and all of that, and there's an exchange often going on when you write in for something. But listen, the, I know the people here. I know how this functions, and this is something that is here, and it exists to help you. From the top on down, they're here to help, and this show is here to help. Open line, that's what it's all about, and we want to get your questions about the Bible, about the Christian life, anything related, so let's go back to the phones. Anne in Albany, New York, you're on the air with Mike Fabares today. How can I help? Yes, hello, Pastor Mike. I want to thank you for your ministry on Focal Point. I'm an avid listener. Oh, um, I feel bad that this question may be piggybacking on your uh, previous mailbag in, in regards to alcohol, but if I may pose it to you, there are some differences. Yes. Uh, many friends of mine are professing Christians that use marijuana. They see nothing wrong with it. Uh, does that make them a goat? Are they on their way to hell? 
Um, that's my question. Yeah. Well, here's something that often pops up in people's minds. Well, if it's legal where I'm at, well, then it's okay, right? Because everything that's legal, it's, it's, then it's not sin. And, and I would be careful. Legality certainly does not equal morality. And there's a lot of things that might be legal. Or it'd, be, it'd be legal for me to impregnate some gal here and, and even to abort the, the product of that impregnation. And, and I, I'd say, but that's not moral. That's not right. And so, yeah, cannabis, marijuana, it's legal, it legalized in our state, Prop 65, I think back in 2016. And it didn't mean that all of a sudden now you're not sinful to, to take it. If in fact of itself, there's something wrong with it. And you're right. It does have an overlap with the question we had in the mailbag. And that is that God is pro-sobriety. I need to be pro-sobriety. And there's 16 examples of intoxication in the Bible and they're all bad. So I want to make sure I don't have that. Now I look at cannabis and I say, okay, what's going on with tetrahydrocannabinol, this this chemical within marijuana? What does that do? Let's compare it to alcohol. And as you start to look at the difference, you you have to say, particularly in today's uh, cannabis, you have a very powerful drug. It's way more powerful than what they were smoking at Woodstock, if you want to look at it that way. The reality of, of, of pot, it does not take a lot of pot to get you buzzed. And if being buzzed is, I don't have all my faculties in place, then you can say anything the Bible says about alcohol and drunkenness can be said about marijuana use that impairs me, right? If it's something that inebriates me, if it's something that makes me befuddled or, or in some way not in, in charge of my faculties, well, then it would be sin. And of course it's sin, no matter what the chemical is that's getting me there. And I just want to remind you, regardless of what people say, particularly when it's the medical use There are some studies, and I know they're working on certain things with seizures in young people, but ultimately, we still have the government telling us that THC, right, tetrahydrocannabinol, is still a Schedule Class A controlled substance, which means, just right out of the Public Health Act, it says it has currently no acceptable medical use, it has a high potential for abuse, and it has no accepted safety uh, that is, is established under medical supervision. Now, the guy in the street's going to say, well, of course it does. Well, the reality is it, it's still at least our government. The people that are working with public health and they're working with medicine say that's the final, at least for now, it's what they say about this. Not that that, that changes the, in, the, in the official uh, classifications with the government, well, then all of a sudden now it's going to change. Because as I said, if it is the kind of thing that has a high potential for abuse, that makes it scary on the surface. And I would say if people are saying, well, I just like toying with my body chemistry, whether it's with, you know, uh, THC or whether it's with alcohol, uh, just for fun. It's my recreational use of marijuana. I would say, wow, everything I've said about the reality of being sober should come into play when people say, I just want uh, to use this to feel something, right? And I would just say, be careful. That is not how we should approach our lives. We don't toy with our body chemistry just to feel a particular way, right? There may be a need for you to take a Tylenol or an ibuprofen. If you got a headache, there might be a proper use of dealing with body chemistry, trying to help you get through the problems and the impairments that, that get you back on being sober and alert. But when you're taking something to feel numbed, when you're taking something to feel recreationally buzzed, I would say, and I'd go back to my answer, there are so much in the scripture. Think of Psalm 55, cast your burden on the Lord, he'll sustain you. And if you're afraid, right? Psalm 56, right? When I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. Or the classic text in Philippians 4. Some people say, well, I got to do this because I'm anxious. Well, if you're anxious, right, by everything with prayer and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And such an important question. And I wish 
I, I could go on and on, but I hear the music playing, but I hope that helps you. This is not an issue of you took a toke on a, on a joint, you're going to hell, but it is saying this is not a wise thing for us to be doing, and I think there'll be plenty of questions next week based on my answer when Michael Rydelnik will be back, and he'll clarify everything for you. All right. Well, thanks for listening today, Trish and Ann and everyone else who's called in. We've had a great lineup today. My name is Mike Fabares, and I've been hosting today. We've got Trish McMillan, Bob Maru, Chris Paddendick, and Courtney Young, and Anthony answering the phones. Everybody's been helping out. Open line at openlineradio.org is where to go. Michael Rydelnik and this open line program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.